begin this morning, I have a job offer for you, a proposition, and it's a, a very lucrative one. I'm going to ask you to go and start a farm in the desert. The land and the acreage is very cheap, and there is no competition, so you could really make a killing if you could figure out how to farm in the desert. What do you think about that? You excited for that possibility? You excited to tackle that task? Do you think you could figure it out? There was a group of people and they did. Back in 2009, so this has actually been going for a while, this group of people, they started something called Sundrop Farms. And here's what I discovered about Sundrop Farms. Seawater and sunshine. It's all that they need. That's all that this futuristic, Star Wars-esque looking farm out in the middle of the South Australian desert, that's all it needs to produce 15,000 tons of tomatoes a year. And they, they pump seawater 5.5 kilometers from the Spencer Gulf and then there's a desalination plant that's operated out in the middle of the South Australian desert. It removes the salt content from the water, providing fresh water so that they can irrigate. Let me get the number right here. Irrigate 180,000 tomato plants inside the greenhouses. Uh, by the way, that desalination plant, it is solar powered. I'll give you another picture of this place here. The super hot, dry conditions of that desert, it makes it completely unhospitable for conventional farming methods. But the owners of this company, they say that this is the future of farming. You see all those mirrors that are scattered around there, 23,000 of them to be exact, and they reflect sunlight up onto that 127 meter high point. And that sunlight then is generated into 39 megawatts of energy on any given day. And that energy can be used to run the desalination plant, provide all of the electricity costs for the greenhouse itself. They use no pesticides, no fertilizer, no soil, no groundwater, no fossil fuels. The tomato plants, they grow inside coconut husks instead of soil. And they don't have to use pesticides because they soak cardboard in the seawater and they place that around the greenhouses and that sterilizes the air. It also protects it in those super hot summer months, keeps it cool. And in the winter, the solar energy keeps it warm. Sundrop Farms has figured out a way to make the desert bloom and blossom. And the cost to construct all of this and to create this farm out in the middle of the desert, the cost was only $200 million. Well, Sundrop Farms has discovered a way that they can make the desert bloom and blossom and produce. And it is impressive. 
And as we turn to the words of this Old Testament prophet, this, this spokesperson for God who, who proclaims the coming kingdom of God, that kingdom for which we pray, thy kingdom come, that kingdom on which we wait, Isaiah, he desires to impress us. As he talks about how the desert will bloom and blossom. He says, he begins chapter 35 and he says, the desert and the parched land will be glad The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. The desert will bloom and blossom. But even more than that, Isaiah says that this this desert wilderness, this unhospitable place, that it will be glad, it it will rejoice, it will shout for joy. And why? Because it has seen the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Isaiah talks about the miraculous, mighty power of God. The power of God that has the ability to to create transformational change. To do amazing things. And and this power of God, it doesn't doesn't take solar panels, a desalination plant, and, and coconut husk. No, it's just the might of God. God, when he shows up, when he is present, he can create transformational change. He can do amazing and miraculous things. And I need to ask you a question right now. Have you seen this? Splendor and and the glory of God. Do do you sense that right now in your life? Do you you feel that, this, this mighty and miraculous power of God? Do you feel that it is at work? You know, as God just lifted you up on high so that you are, you are riding well, you are in the clouds, everything is going great, your life, it is good, it is well, it is perfect, you are happy. No fear, no terror. Everything is good. No stress. No family issues. No doubts, no fears, no tear-filled days, no unanswered questions. Or are you, like me, an actual living, breathing, real human being, (laughs) right? Because that's not our life. But I wonder if sometimes we give that impression. Or maybe we we get that impression that Christianity is all about being happy all the time. You know, like, we should put a, a sign out there on the door as you walk in that says, no sad people allowed. If you're frustrated, do not enter. Right? 
Like, don't bring your, your pain and your suffering and your mess, don't bring that in here. Because we don't want that. We don't want messes. We don't, we don't want chaos. Don't, don't bring that. You leave that at home. You leave that in your own heart. You don't bring that up in here and mess up this nice, good community that we have going on. But if we did that, then we would completely miss what Jesus' kingdom is all about. And so if you're taking notes today, it's the very first thing that I want you to write down, is that your feelings are not a reliable measure of God's power. Your feelings are not a reliable measure of God's presence in your life and the power that he has to make transformational change. Look at what Isaiah said next. He said, Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with, what kind of hearts? Fearful hearts. Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Feeble hands. Knees that are buckling, that that are giving out under the, the weight of the pressure that they feel. Fearful hearts. It doesn't sound like joy and, and happiness and power and might and majesty and glory and splendor. No, it sounds like terror and fear and doubt. And the people, they felt it. In the very next chapter of Isaiah, in chapter 36, we find out the, the historical reason that the people felt these things, why they felt fear and terror and why they would have had doubts In Isaiah chapter 36, we hear this. It says, In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Hezekiah, he's the king over the kingdom of Judah. In the 14th year of his reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, the world power at the time, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Then the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem was surrounded by this invading, hostile army. An army that had annihilated, completely wiped out everyone and everything that had stood in their way to that point. Do you think that there was a little bit of chaos in the city of Jerusalem? Do you think that their hearts were maybe a little bit fearful? Were there, were there doubts there about their future? About the hope that they could have? About even the trust that they could put into their God? This massive army surrounding them. What were their feelings telling them? And their feelings led them to see only gloom and despair. 
And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there too. Maybe it's not a, a surrounding enemy army, but the hostility that's around you is fierce. The prospect for, for blessing, for, for the future and, and your hope seems dim. You feel that gloom and despair. Maybe you've been there. And so the people of Israel, they needed a message of comfort. They needed a message of hope and of peace out of this chaos. And Isaiah delivered that. That's why he talked about this mighty and miraculous power of God that that would come to, to save his people. That's why Isaiah said to them that God can create peace out of chaos. That God brings us, his people, from gloom to glory. And that as God creates peace out of chaos and as he brings us from the gloom that we feel to the glory that we can know in our God, he does so through miraculous transformation. And God accomplishes this miraculous transformation through miraculous intervention. Historically, that's exactly what God did for his people. Through a miraculous intervention, he drove the Assyrian army away. He created a massive change. And it had nothing to do with the people. It had nothing to do with their strength, their might, their power. God accomplished it. He set them free from that invading army. I know that's all well and great, but it doesn't really help you, does it? Unless you know and you understand that Isaiah's words that he shared with the people of Israel are words that God also wants to share with you. Unless you understand that these words that Isaiah, this spokesperson for God, his words that they surpass and they extend far beyond that historical fulfillment. Which leads us to talk about someone else. Who was once sitting with feeble hands and a fearful heart. Someone who had one of those days, and maybe you've had one of those days, where everything about your experience leads you to to question, and to question it all, to question even your faith. One of those days where you wonder if all of God's great and glorious promises, if they are really true, and if they are really true, if they are really true for you. One of those days where where you question, is God really here? Is God really with me? Is God really for me in this moment, right now? One of those days of deep despair and heavy gloom. And the man who was there with a fearful heart, with knees that were giving way, his name was John. And you might know him as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. But he sat in a prison cell. 
under arrest. His, his fate was in the hands of a powerful ruler who absolutely hated him. And his heart was fearful. He wondered if God's promises were true. That very man who had seen Jesus and he had said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and now, was I right? Well, maybe I just imagined it all. On the day when, it, when he came to be baptized me in, in the Jordan River, did, did I just imagine it? Was it just a dream when I saw heaven open up and a, a dove descend on his shoulders and the voice of God that boomed from the sky and said, this is my son? But maybe not. This man who had encouraged others, who had faithfully proclaimed the kingdom of God, who, who had told others to, to repent because that kingdom was coming near, and now he questioned. He, he struggled. And so, my dear friends, it, if you sometimes have a fearful heart, if you sometimes question, if you sometimes doubt, you sit there with, with John, John the Baptist. You're in pretty good company. You sit there with other saints, other believers throughout the ages. Because sometimes our hearts are weak and feeble and fearful. But did you notice what what John did, John turned to Jesus. And he sent his followers to Jesus to ask the question. And there was assurance and there was hope that was given to John. And Jesus pointed to these very words from Isaiah. He, he said that his own actions, they spoke for him because he did what no one else could do. He did what only God could do because he was that miraculous intervention in our world. And he is the one who accomplishes miraculous transformation. He said, look, look at my acts. And he pointed to these, these very words that Isaiah writes for us. As Jesus demonstrated how he brought peace out of chaos, how he brought people from gloom to glory, and he pointed back to what Isaiah said, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Jesus did those things. Miraculous interventions, miraculous transformations. Jesus did those And Jesus has brought his transformative power to bear on your life and on your heart. Now Isaiah continues here and he gives us this impressive description. He says a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. Could you walk on this way of holiness? 
Are you able to claim for yourself that title of clean? You see, dear friends, one of the real reasons that our hands would be feeble, that our knees would be weak, that there would be fear in our hearts is because we know that we have opposed our God. We have fallen short of his glory. We have not lived up to and excelled at the standards of his holiness and his morality. And when you heard those words that Isaiah said, that God would come with vengeance, with divine retribution, did, did you stop and did you, did you ask yourself when and where and on whom? Vengeance and divine retribution? On whom would that really land? If God were to treat us as our sins deserved, then the answer would be us. We know that in our disobedience to God, we are the unclean. We are the, the wicked fools that Isaiah describes. Yet God brought his vengeance and his divine retribution. He brought that in such a way to create miraculous transformation. Miraculous transformation through miraculous intervention. Because God's divine justice, his vengeance and his retribution was carried out not on you, but on Jesus. The cost for us to be among the ransomed and the redeemed was far more than $200 million. It was the very cost of Jesus' own life, the very cost of the Son of God giving himself over to death on a cross. Jesus paid that price. The price of his own subjection to suffering, to torment, to hell itself in our place. The Almighty Divine became incarnate. He wrapped himself in human flesh and blood for us, for you and for me. So that we... We get to see the glory of our God. We get to see his splendor wrapped in those swaddling claws and placed in a manger. And we get to see the glory of God and we get to see the, the splendor of his majesty displayed on a cross. We get to see the glory of our God, the splendor of his majesty as his body is laid in a tomb. And then we get to see the glory of our God and the splendor of his majesty when that tomb is empty. Because Jesus, Jesus is this miraculous intervention. And the message of the Bible is that God has brought peace out of the chaos 
of our lives. God has brought us, his people, from gloom to glory through Jesus. The message of the Bible is that you are redeemed and you are ransomed. That Jesus paid that price for your life. And he has changed your very life. And so as Isaiah finishes up, he said that those who have experienced that remarkable transformation from their God, they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And the gospel message in this good news of the kingdom that is yours, the kingdom into which you have been invited through Jesus' own blood shed for you on the cross, the good news of that kingdom brings to you a gladness a gladness that overtakes your experience. A gladness that overtakes your feelings. A gladness that overtakes even what you see out in the world, even what is taking place in your life. It overtakes your fearful heart. And it brings hope and peace. And it brings this joy that Isaiah is talking about. The message of the Bible is that God's kingdom, it has come. And it will come. That God keeps his promises. And there may be darkness, and there may be fear, and there may be sorrow. But ultimately, dear friends, the gladness of the kingdom of your Christ, it will overtake them. It will overtake them as Jesus brings you to his side. It will overtake them because you have Jesus. And when you have Jesus, you have everything. You have his miraculous, transformational power. You have the Savior who overcomes your sadness and your fears. And so when we surround ourselves with this message, the message that Isaiah proclaimed about this kingdom, and the promises that God has given to us, we don't have a joy. It's not this flimsy joy that we just pretend makes us happy and feel better. It's the kind of joy, the kind of gladness that can actually overtake our sadness, our fears. It can overtake them no matter how we feel because we know Jesus miraculous power. We know that Jesus brings peace out of chaos and brings his people from gloom into glory. Amen? <laughs>